You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, let's uh, move on to our next topic, Mike, and um, let's talk about subcontinent cricket. And you've spoken a bit about that earlier in our chat today um, and you're passionate about the subcontinent, about its cricket, culture and love affair with it. And um, you just came back from India and Sri Lanka, five weeks you spent over there for a bit of a holiday. And um, you've lived in India and, and Sri Lanka for, for years as well, for many years in either country. Um, you've toured there uh, to India, Sri Lanka and Pakistan as a broadcaster during your career in and um, this passion obviously led you to write Cricket Beyond the Bazaar, which was one of your earliest books. And as you said before, was mainly to open the eyes of the Australian cricket community to the value of India and the subcontinent as a whole. And also detailing Australia's history of touring there over the years, like the Thai Test in 86 um, and also the World Cup win in 1987. Um, which didn't get much attention in Australia. Um, apparently they showed um, a movie in the second innings. Am I right? Don't, right? Don't, don't, yes, Natasha Kinski in, um, what was it called? I can't even remember what it's called now. Um, yes, oh, that was an outrage, absolute outrage. Yeah. Um, but they, they're very passionate about their cricket in the subcontinent, Mark. They, they worship their players like gods, sort of, in a way. Um, very different to how we see cricketers in Australia. You know, if you see Pat Cummins on the street, you go up to Pat and say, can I have a photo with you? Whereas in India, there's a lot of people that crowd, you know, their players like Tendulkar or Kohli because uh, they just love their cricket so much. And and I went to an ODI in Adelaide Oval in 2018 when India came out uh, that summer. And I felt like I was at the 1KD Stadium or something. Like <laughs> the, the noise was unreal, um, the passion. Um, experiencing that firsthand. Um, so, Mike, why, why do you love the subcontinent so much? And you've already talked about it before, but why were you compelled to write uh, Cricket Beyond the Bazaar? Uh, yes, interesting that the I've never felt out of place on the subcontinent. Um, and I think that's the, my first tour was to Pakistan in 1982. Um, with Kim Hughes's team, and it was a disastrous tour. He should shouldn't have been captain anyway. Should have been Rod Marsh, but they the cricket board didn't have the uh, courage to appoint him then. So soon after the World Series cricket revolution, he was Marsh was still seen as um, as a rebel, um, and that. Um, so eighty two, there was more. I think the our first game I think was in Multan. And I was staggered. There was more animal traffic than vehicle traffic uh, on the roads of Multan, even in 1982. I mean, it was it was really a march back in time. Uh, it was extraordinary. But I've never, ever felt out of place in that part of the world and uh, got good friends there and enjoy returning there uh, when I can. Um, I don't know. Initially, I was an adopted child, uh, Jack, and I perhaps I thought that uh, there might have been some um, link to uh, that. I always sort of felt some sort of affinity for that part of the world, 
whether I could have been linked to it or what. Um, it turns out that I, I wasn't. Um, if I had any, I, I don't know who my father was, but my, my mother, I did track down um, quite recently over the last 10 years and she was, uh, she'd been adopted as well. So it was a pretty messy background. And um, but there was a New Zealand link there, um, certainly not an Indian link. Um, perhaps I just was romanticizing, perhaps that I was linked to Ramji or, or to the Nawab of Patordi or someone. Um, but I don't know, I've just always felt comfortable there, and I'm sure it's got something to do with the, uh, the spirituality of the place, particularly in Sri Lanka as a Buddhist country. Um, there's, a, there's a quietness and, a, and um, uh, about it. Um, and you don't often use the word quietness too much about the subcontinent because of just the the weight of numbers is just so formidable. Um, but I, I just put it down to the fact that I've never filled out a place there and I've always been welcomed there. And um, and certainly from a journalistic point of view, it's uh, it's uh, it's given me so much joy, so much rich material to write about um, in uh, in that part of the world. And so many dramatic stories, you know, the bags of Jamshed Pur when we had to, you know, the Australian team had to get from Trivandrum in the deep south to Jamshed Pur up north via Calcutta. And we had to sign the same, a couple of the Indian journos were, uh, were asked to write um, a note for the um, border guards not to not to uh, to embargo the bags as they were crossing the border because a one-day game was to be played and you couldn't fly because of the storm. I mean, there is so much drama there in mm-hmm. um, when when you're touring, and it always has been and probably always will be. That from a, a it's such a a rich um, a rich palette for any journal or broadcaster. Um, I can remember one of the biggest impacts I had broadcasting for the ABC and um, uh, along with Peter Roebuck and Jimmy Maxwell and, and uh, co in, um, in Calcutta when I made reference to the number of kids who were doing the year 12 exams while it was on. I mean, it was something like 1.3 million or something in that particular part of the world were doing year 12 uh, and exam that day and things like that. Um, would fascinate listeners anywhere in Australia uh, mm. just to give them an insight into a very different uh, a different world and a different way of life. And, and that's basically it, that I've never felt uncomfortable there. And uh, to the contrary, I've always felt welcome there. Yeah, absolutely. And very hospitable people as well in, in the South yeah, very. especially in India, Sri Lanka and, and Pakistan. They're very kind, very um, hospitable. Um, we mentioned the reluctance as well, Mike, of teams touring the subcontinent. Some of the reasons were, you know, about getting ill, uh, especially that was the case for Australia on the early tours to Pakistan. Yeah. In India in 56, 59, many players in 1959 were hit hard by dysentery and hepatitis A or B. So Richie Benno thought, you know, it would be a good idea to get a team doctor, and he got Ian McDonald, who was Colin McDonald's um, brother, mm. who was a doctor and expert in tropical ailments, and he was a standby player as well because uh, he played Sheffield Shield cricket for 
Victoria as a wicketkeeper. So Richie Benno thought, well, we have a doctor and we have a standby player just in case. But many got um, severely hit with illness. Also food, trying different foods, etc. I think you will remember Mike and many other listeners, the late Shane Warne, um, to a tour in India in 98, got a crate of baked beans sent to him because he didn't like uh, uh, the food in India. Um, and also accommodation as well. The team in 1969 didn't stay at the best hotels and the recall of cats climbing over the food and all that stuff from their stories. Um, but this reluctance, Mark, has dissipated over time and players are embracing touring the subcontinent now. And the IPL has helped that immensely in terms of India. But you also see players em embracing religious festivals like in India, uh, you know, Holly and, you know, covering themselves in coloured powder and embracing themselves in the culture and uh, the religious festivals over there. And also um, Steve Waugh recently did his uh, project in India, the Spirit of Cricket, uh, taking photographs and uh, of people playing cricket in India and opening everyone's eyes to to India and what a wonderful country it is. And so, Mike, why were teams reluctant to tour the subcontinent from the very early days when India and, and then Pakistan came into the fold in Test cricket? I think it was just, as we've said, um, Jack, it was just a matter of <clears throat> a lot of stories, true and apocryphal, were handed down over the years. Um, let's remember that the first, the unofficial team in 35-36, uh, that uh, Jack Ryder was captain and Frank Tarrant was manager, they did it in absolute luxury. Um, we, the difficult thing was to work out what the collective noun is for Rolls-Royce because they were picked up in uh, a fleet of uh, uh, Rolls-Royces um, at different times in Patiala and one thing. They just moved from palace to palace to palace in 35-6, although two or three of them became ill. There's no doubt about that. Um, but uh, I think basically because of that, I think geographical isolation, as far as this Australia is concerned, it breeds in ignorance. And at that period, um, it was so remote. Uh, India was so remote, in, certainly in the 30s, um, you know, and Tarrant and uh, Ryder had to confront that then. And I think in the 50s, it was still remote as far as mainstream Australia was concerned. And, and certainly as far as mainstream Australian cricket was concerned, it was remote. And so the, the stories, true or apocryphal, handed down over the years. And it wasn't really until the, the, the influence of uh, Border, Taylor and War when things began to change. And now, of course, it's, uh, they rejoice in playing there and... I mean, it's challenging conditions, as we saw, you know, young uh, Todd Murphy making his debut, mm. um, how challenging, but, but how, as a mature 22-year-old, he was not phased by it and um, had some success there, which has led to his continued involvement with the scene um, and how critical that became when Lyon uh, was injured. So, yes. you know, it's um, I think it's nothing more than that. And I think as they've become... Um, more familiar with that part of the world. They've spent more time there. Um, they've read more about it, have got more friends. And as you say, quite rightly, the contact in the dressing room through uh, the IPL, that a lot of uh, the mysteries have been uh, dismissed. Absolutely. Um, before we move on to our next topic, Mike, let's talk about just Indian cricket and the future of cricket in the subcontinent. Um, 
as we mentioned in our chat today, and everyone knows that India has become the powerhouse of cricket. It's a complete contrast when they first started in Test cricket in 1932. Uh, they produced some of the uh, game's finest players, like Vinu Madcad. Sadly, his name gets tarnished with that controversial dismissal, but he was a fine cricketer himself. And then you have Bishan Betty, who was a very good spinner for, for India. And then Sunil Gavaskar, Sachin Tendulkar, you had Raul Dravid, Anil Kumbli, and obviously Kapil Deer, just to name a few. And you mentioned before, Mike, the 83 World Cup victory for India changed it, really. It changed how people yeah, looked at Indian cricket and took them more seriously as a, as a force to be reckoned with. And we've seen over the years, they've won in Australia a couple of times now, that series in 2020-21 where they won at the Gabba was amazing from, you know, their their team basically suffering injuries and then getting bowled out for a low score in Adelaide to come back and win that series was was pretty good. So, And to make it to two World Test Championship finals um, is, a, is a proud achievement in itself. So... What changes have you noticed over Indian cricket over the years, Mike? And and how do you see the future of Indian cricket, but also future of cricket in the subcontinent as a whole? Oh, I don't think it'll ever change. I mean, their passion for it is uh, you know second to none. Um, it's a, it's one of the languages. I mean, there's sort of fifteen major languages spoken in India every day, and hundreds of other uh, dialects and one thing or other. But the, it's, it is a language that brings the Indians together, uh, the language of cricket. Um, the same in Pakistan. I think, if anything, the Pakistanis might be marginally more uh, passionate uh, than the Indians. And it's going to be interesting in the World Cup when India play Pakistan again because it's a, it's a rare event because of history and politics. But um, it'll, it'll certainly be one to be watching. Um, it's, it's, it's always uh, it's an event with ramifications far beyond the, uh, the boundary. Um, so, no, I, th I think the game is assured. Um, I mean, the, I can't think of his name off the top, but the new opening batsman for India that went to the West Indies recently, uh, the boy who was a 12-year-old. Uh, Joss Wall. Joss Wall. Yeah. Yeah. What he was selling um, a, a little bits of puris from a uh, from, uh, from a cart on the side of the road as a kid, and now he's a millionaire through the um, you know come from nothing to something uh, because and so that is some one of the positives of the short form of the game. It does provide kids with an opportunity that would never have been there before. That I accept and understand. Um, I don't. <coughs> One thing, Jack, that I don't mind, I, I, I don't mind if the, the short form is, is prosperous. What I don't like about it is that it tends to monopolise the conversation of the game. If we're talking only T20, we're talking only uh, money, and we're, and we're talking um, <clears throat> the pecking order. I mean, cricket, I mean, tennis and golf historically have always had, you know, such and such Federer, uh, comma, Switzerland, comma, worth $7.7 .7 trillion or whatever it might be. The same in golf. The cricket has never had that until IPL. And that has changed <clears throat> the mood, the conversation of the game to a large degree. We'll now talk about, um, <clears throat> you know, somebody like Cameron Green 
uh, from Perth who was on 3.7 million for such and such a franchise. And of course, all the Indian franchises are now beginning to own all of a franchise. They own them all, I think, in South Africa. And it'll be only a matter of time before they own franchises in Australia. So, okay, they've got the power. Um, but I, you know, that, that's what worries me from a traditionalist point of view. And somebody who cares about it's hit the game's history and and the the value the, and the virtues of uh, the traditional game is that uh, one day. T20 just monopolizes the conversation of the game. And I think that can be very, very dangerous. If we can't think beyond the checkbook and the rankings and what they're earning, and we pay no attention to what the game in essence stands for and what it has meant over so many years, well, we're in, we're in trouble. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the future holds for Indian cricket going forward. But I think we can already see that a little bit now. Uh, with the IPL and uh, the way yeah. the T20 crew well, is. Well, as I said about the, the redevelopment of the ground at Chittabaram Stadium, which you'll see when Australia play India in the World Cup. I mean, it is a magnificent mm. ground, and that's all come from, and that money will continue to flow. Um, I would like to see um, the Indian Cricket Board perhaps put a little bit into the wider community, into education, into health, and other issues now that there's so much money flowing. Yes, ab ab absolutely. Um, for our next topic. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed hearing Mike and I discuss subcontinent cricket.